0: We got some big topics today. The Edmonton Oilers firing GM Peter Chiarelli. The Toronto Maple Leafs maybe snapping out of a bit of a slump in advance of the All-Star game. So we got to bring in the heavy hitter to talk about this stuff. The man, the myth, the legend, Gare Joyce. Gare, how you doing, pal?
1: I think you're overselling this, but that's all right.
0: <laughs> I think myth and legend both apply here. Boys, let's just jump right into it. We are, as I noted, at the All-Star break. The Leafs stumbling in but had a nice exit to that portion of the schedule with a big win over the caps on Wednesday night. Garrett, what have you seen from the Leafs, you know, the past two weeks? They have kind of stumbled, but
1: where do you see this thing going here when they get back from the all-star break? I think a lot of it's gonna ride on where Anderson's game is and how healthy he can stay. I don't know I don't know that history will be kind to Frederick Anderson as far as uh, his his record of durability. So if he's not there and not 100% and not on form, they're in trouble. And I would say that it's even money that he'll have a stretch where he's going to miss at least – a week or 10 days down uh, down the uh, stretch of the schedule.
0: It's crazy when you look at all the high, high-end players who have landed in Toronto in the past couple of years to think that Frederick Anderson still seems to be the most important player on the Absolutely. team, right?
2: Absolutely he is. First of all, they don't have a backup goalie who can carry this team for any length of, of time. And it makes you wonder, in that case, if they'll get into the trade market. But I kind of think that market's being overblown a little bit. There's not a lot of guys out there That you would feel good about acquiring that you would want then to be your number one in case of an injury and still go on a long playoff run with and then also feel good about paying the price for what that guy is like Jimmy Howard might be the number one and Ken Holland has said he wants a first round pick back for him. Do you want to give up a first round pick for a goalie? I don't think that's that's the best move to be making, but they have scoring. Like if you lose Austin Matthews for a piece of time, you have still two really good lines, two really good centers that you can move up. You have a little bit more flexibility there. The defense obviously is something that's going to need some work. When Jake Gardner is out of the lineup or he's playing poorly, this team absolutely feels it. And I think that's where you can notice his importance to them when – when Travis Dermott has to move up there uh, when somebody else has to take on a few more minutes you really know how important Gardner is to driving the play up the ice on offense he's got his problems defensively obviously but that's not why he's on this team but when it comes down to it they're really only going to go as far as Frederick Anderson takes them and something we'll talk about later on this podcast the PHWA awards Freddie Anderson was one of the top three for the Vesna and to me I think he should have been top two maybe even number one although it's hard to make a case for him over John Gibson at this point, but... He really has been consistent since the day he got here in Toronto. And to me, that's the mark of a really good goaltender. You don't want the highs and lows. You don't want what Craig Anderson is doing if you're a cup contender, giving you one great season one year and then a big fall back the next. You want some guy that you can put in there and is going to give you good numbers and do it consistently year in and year out. When healthy. When healthy. Uh, William <laughs> Nylander
0: had four points in his past two games, went out with a three-assist performance against the Caps. Do you think we're going to see, for lack of a better way of putting it, the real... William Nylander the rest of the way or most of
1: the rest of the way? Odds are you, you would presume that. I, I mean, he had all the knocking against him through his his return. I mean, he had established a level of play through a couple of years. You know, you can like it or or not. I'll tell you, when they made the playoffs two years ago, the last month of the season, he was their best player. Yeah. Right. Is he going to be that player throughout? Well, he wasn't that player throughout before. But he's a top six forward, and he's skilled. And on a given night, he can be the best lead forward out there. Most of the time, probably not, but he but he can be. So I think that his struggles, were they entirely tied to him being uh, out of the la- uh, lineup, uh, missing training camp, missing the first couple of months of the season? Somewhat. Somewhat, you know, is some of it psychological. I'm sure that that's meshed in with it. Odds are he'll be back and informed. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be. So most of the talk around the Leafs when it comes to
0: the trade deadline, maybe not most, maybe all, centers on which defenseman can they go get. Let me just back up one little bit here. Do they have to make a trade? Like, do you look at the D and say? based on what they have right now and based on the team's chances, do they basically have to pull the trigger on something this year? Or if it really is more of a seller's market, would you be okay with saying, you know what, punt on it, take your chances with what you have and readdress
2: it in the summer? I think it's got to do with the prices of everything, right? I mean, you don't want to overpay on something because you feel like you have to do something. But but at the same time, I kind of think they do have to get into this market because – you have to keep up with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah. And Tampa Bay was still a, a big-time contender last year, and they were able to pull, pull off a really good move, uh, bringing in Ryan McDonough and J.T. Miller just for more depth. And still we're hearing rumors about that team being involved for depth defensemen along the way. I don't think you can you know, hurt yourself by adding these kinds of guys. I would take a pretty big cut at Jake Muzzin because you have him for this year and next year. And that's the key. That's where you can maybe move into... Consider moving your first round pick or one of your guys uh, on the Marlies, one of your defensemen, possibly somebody if you're getting somebody back who has some control and you can move forward with. I wouldn't do it for a rental, but there are a couple guys like Brett Pesci has been linked to the Leafs now a little bit more recently. And that's a younger guy, too, that again, you can move into the future with for a long, long time. Those are the kind of moves I think I would take big cuts for. I would take smaller cuts if B- I would. Was...
0: Would big cuts mean uh, Kapanen, or do you think that he. Kapanen's too, too much really for is.
2: Muzzin, I think, you think. But I think if you're getting into some of these, like Pesci's, guys who are in their early 20s, uh, that's the cost of doing business. Um, and that's where maybe you explore. I'm talking big cuts. I'm talking like your first and Lilia Grin or Sandine, possibly. I don't really think Bracco falls into that category, although he's having a really good season in the AHL. Um, but that's as long as you have control because then you're not just looking at this season, you're looking at how is this going to improve our team going forward. And there's a clear need for somebody who's really defensively responsible and young on that team. You know, Ron Hainsey and uh, Nikita Zaitsev aren't guys that I think you want to be going forward with in with important top four roles. I think it's clear that Hainsey's at the end of his career And Zaitsev is not really the best fit for Jake Gardner. He's more of a third pair guy. So again, like I'm not going into overpay, feeling like I'm pressured that I have to do something. That's never a good idea. But I think this is a team that absolutely the Stanley Cup window is open right now, as open as it's going to be before you pay Matthews and Marner all, all this money and your 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 cap window really starts closing on you. And so they're about as, as much as a buyer as they're ever going to be. I, the, the market is as favorable as it can be for this team,
1: considering the cap implications.
0: Do you think they're all in for some kind of D-Gare?
1: I wish that they could trade uh, Zaitsev <laughs> for, for Zaitsev the first six months. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, I haven't really seen a guy whose game is sort of it's crazy. Yeah, it just sort of slid. You think it's the concussion that did some of that?
2: Like, how is how does that happen? I don't know. Yeah,
1: I, I, I mean, again, it might not be the only reason, but mm-hmm. is it is it a reason? I would suspect so.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, his his game definitely is is taking a big hit. When you're talking about the Leafs being in the market and all the talk about them uh, looking at Carolina, I don't know about Pessy. I guess he would. I guess he would. You'd be able to slot him in there. People talk about Dougie Hamilton. Yeah, I mean, there there is a reason that he moves around a fair bit, and people say, "Oh, he's a different personality and all." The thing that I've always thought about him, and it's it was true back to when he was being scouted in junior, was that his read of play in the moment, his ability to make quick decisions, not always great, amazing physical ability, but again, his read of play, his ability to make. The right move and, and just look after business in his own end in a split second. That's always been a hole for him, and that isn't someone that you want to go out and get for, for if you're looking at making a, a deep playoff run or any sort mm-hmm. of playoff run at all. Jake Muzzin would be in, uh, interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I I get the idea that we tend to overvalue our assets with the affiliate. I think that that's true of any team, not just Leaf Nation. Yeah. So I I think that if you're going to do Jake Muzzin, you better be sacrificing a pretty big roster player. And I would think more likely a choice rather than a choice you've already made. You mentioned briefly, Rory, that
0: as we all know, there's some big negotiations coming up with Austin Matthews, with Mitch Marner. Let me just ask you guys this. You know, the offer sheet really is just a rumor to this point in the NHL. Yeah, they've come out here and there. And, you know, we can cite examples from once upon a time. But for the most part, it's not something other GMs use to, you know, try and improve their team. We hear these whispers say, oh, this, you know, things could change. Do you think there's any chance that someone could sweep in and try and offer sheet one of those guys as the Leafs try and figure
1: out how to fit all these guys under the cap? I would think that there would have to be an agenda involved (laughs) as something more than players. The one that I always go back to was Carmanos going out and signing Fedorov, right? That was an agenda (laughs) for sure. (laughs) And it's like, you know what? I mean carmanos and illich it probably goes back to a goat in a macedonian village that's sort of where that started (laughs) you need a good blood feud for an offer sheet yeah Yeah. so now saying all that as a preface we have different people involved in management in the league and it's not all these guys who've golfed together at the breakers during gm's meetings right uh in you mentioned Chayka says this, like we, there are wild cards in management. Arizona-based wild cards, we should point mm-hmm. out, in the case
0: of Austin Matthews,
1: right? <laughs> yep, right. It's But then again, it's a question of what type of uh, opening of the purse strings yeah. Chayka might yeah, have. Yeah, for sure. So in fullness, I would say I'm really doubtful that we'll see uh, offer sheet action in any significant yeah. way. But uh, you, you could never rule it out of hand.
2: You know what I wonder? Just on Chayka, on your point on Chayka, you got a renegade owner in Carolina, too. And I wonder if he would feel motivated to kind of push his GM. I'll put the money out there. We need scoring. Maybe this is the summer sure. to do something for those guys. So there's a little bit of a an, an added element there.
0: Yeah, put a bow on this Leafs conversation yeah. <laughs> with you. You know who they presently line up for to face in the playoffs? Montreal. ooh It's crazy. But if you're a Leaf fan, uh, I think there's more than just sentimental reasons to want to see the Canadians in the first round. Man, they would probably really prefer that matchup to the one they'll likely get with the Boston Bruins. But uh, that's a story for another day. Uh, Still a long ways to go. All right. Well, the man, the myth, the legend. Sportsnet features writer Gare Joyce is sticking around for another segment. We're going to talk about the Oilers, all the upheaval there, and where things may be going in Alberta's capital. That is coming up on the other side of the break on Tape to Tape. The Tape to Tape podcast is brought to you by the next generation GMC Sierra Denali, complete with the world's first six function multi pro tailgate. Net sliding around on the way to pond hockey, use the built in load stop to help keep them in place. Loading what seems like half a team's worth of bags, the tailgate also turns into a step for easier access and has an inner gate that flips down for unloading all the gear you can fit. GMC Sierra Denali, we are professional grade.
3: I'm just sitting here watching this game and I'm shaking my head and I, I'm, I'm, I'm boggled that this is a professional hockey league team. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers are so bad. They can't put two passes together. The, their passing decisions. They're positioning defensively. They're, uh, they look in all three zones, they look confused. They have no, they, they have no idea where they're going. They're throwing hope for passes up the ice, hoping that they catch somebody in, in a rush where they can get an outnumbered situation. Um, you know, they might have good skaters, fast skaters. But their feet and their hands go so much faster than their brains. They have no idea what they're doing out there. And it shows so much. You have the Detroit Red Wings, you know, God bless them. The the worst team in the National Hockey League by points in 43. And they look like the Stanley Cup champions compared to this Edmonton Oilers team.
2: Last night, we made the decision with Peter Shirelli after the second period We'd made that decision before the game started. There's something in the water here in Edmonton that we don't have right, and we got to get that figured out.
0: Welcome back to Tape to Tape. Turning our attentions now to the Edmonton Oilers. Certainly felt like, I mean, after the weekend when they lost a Battle of Alberta game to Calgary, then they gave up seven at home to Carolina, you kind of knew something was coming. The next loss was probably going to, you know, could be the tipping point. Lo and behold, Peter Torelli fired technically after two periods uh, during a home loss to Detroit. So he could exit the building (laughs) quietly without being
2: spotted and and hounded.
0: (laughs) I mean, there's any number of directions you can go in. I'm sure when we talk about what's gone wrong with the Oilers in the McDavid era or even before, but has it just come down to They've just never been able to supplement the high-end talent they had, whether it was going back to drafting Taylor Hall, Ryan Eugene Hopkins, and and certainly through Dreisaitl and McDavid, there's just not enough other guys.
1: I'd love to be able to point to one thing that led to Chiarelli's downfall, but it's sort of death by a hundred blows. Yeah. A thousand would be overstating it. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the Adam Larson deal, that could have easily blown up before this season, right. you know, the, the timing of it is goofy to me, right? Like if, if you're, if you're going to do this, if this was, you know, at all on the radar, I have no idea why you're not doing it in the off season. Like just n- no idea. Like we're going to, we're going to give it 40 games and see, see how, how we're doing. They can say that they don't know, if they're going to have a replacement in before the end, I can tell you, they won't have the replacement that they were looking at. Yeah. Right. The timing of it doesn't make sense. Do it in the off season if it's in the cards at all. If not, I just don't see the changing of horses in in midstream, especially when there's only one horse there
0: gare mentioned the larson for hall deal that one certainly gets a lot of attention but mm-hmm. Rory, you wrote about some of the notable trades trelly made during his almost four-year tenure hired in yeah. 2015 just take us through a couple that uh, you highlighted that you know may have ended up playing a role in uh in his eventual dismissal
2: so the very first one that he made is is another one where he picks up griffin reinhardt who plays something like 26 games for them that following season one playoff game and and that's it and then he's lost to vegas in the expansion draft after that they gave up a first and a second round pick for that And that first round pick becomes matt barzell which looks awful but you never know what edmonton would have done with that pick like if they took i think it's fair to assume bad things (laughs) yeah like thomas shabbat comes after that if they take joel erickson ecker evgeny uh svechnikov though it's not such a a mess up at that point Right. right and Um, but you look at it on paper and it's just, it's it's a huge loss for the Oilers. What would this team have looked like if they just would have had Matt Barzell in that position? And another one, and I don't know if it's really fair to say that it was an awful trade for Torelli at the time was Justin Schultz because he was getting booed by fans in Edmonton just before that happened. Um, He was a really highly sought after unsigned college free agent, um, they scoop him up, and he had, you know, a lot like Jake Gardner. He's got a lot of offense to his game, but a lot of knocks on defense. I was and
1: amazed that he went to them, to Edmonton. Yeah, yeah, time, from, he, yeah.
2: from Anaheim, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and the fact pick. that somebody chooses Edmonton, but that's how
0: Edmonton <laughs> kept sucking you in, though. Was all that high yes. in talent? You just kept
2: thinking, it's got to come to a boil. It's got to yeah.
0: come to a boil.
2: And you get just a couple of late round picks for him. Again, you look back on it and you look what Justin Schultz has done in Pittsburgh and how yeah. he's fit in there. And it looks like an awful trade, but you remember it in the moment and nobody wanted Justin Schultz. No fan in Edmonton wanted him around anymore. It was, there was too much wrong with his game. And, and again, they don't, they don't get anything out of that one. And I always, I also thought it was interesting and you definitely can't put this one on Chiarelli is that they had to give up a draft pick to Boston to get him in the first place. And that draft pick turns out to be Jack Studnica, who just played for Canada at the World Juniors, had a pretty good showing and is a a decent prospect now. And you just think, well, that's another pick. And and it's all part of one of the big problems with And There's a lot of them, a lot of bad trades. Um, There are some good things. I think that Oscar Kleffbaum contract is a really good value one for what he brings to this team. But you talk about the draft and you just look outside of the very first pick that they make and there's not a heck of a lot going on there. Uh, Caleb Jones is somebody who's looking like he might be an NHLer uh someday. Maybe he's a third-pair guy right now, but he's not quite there. yet. He's not a difference maker or anything like that yet. And, but you look at their second, third-round picks, there's a ton of whiffs in there, and that's the difference between a successful organization that can sustain winning and one that either doesn't get there or gets there for a very short period of time and falls off again. You need to be finding – Uh, these kind of players later in that draft or finding value guys who are on the free agent market. And, And Edmonton wasn't doing that. They were doing the obvious things right. But after that, there wasn't much going right for the organization.
0: So what happens now? Keith Gretzky is kind of holding the reins. It's going to be by committee with Bob Nicholson at the top. You know, obviously all decisions, all trades moving forward are going to be done, you know, with insight from the higher, the highest levels, I suppose. Is there anyone who stands out as the long-term solution at GM? Do you like a guy like Mark Hunter? Um, Is there any other name that immediately comes to mind that you think might be a good fit there?
1: Let's back it up first, though. I'm not even convinced Bob Nicholson is empowered to hire a GM at this point. Because, I mean, Bob Nicholson could easily be the next to go. And uh, although it would be a perfect way of, you know, perfect... Euler way to do things is is to hire a gm and then fire fire the guy that hired him, right <laughs> i mean because every, everything is just like through the looking glass so i'm i'm suspecting that there won't be a gm hired until the offseason and that they'll operate on the interim in the interim yeah
2: yeah i mean right now everybody's got jobs, right? And you're in the stretch drive to the trade deadline in the draft. I know Philadelphia was able to get Chuck Fletcher, even though he was working for somebody else, but I don't think there's going to be a ton of those options in season at this point in the season. If you wait until the off season, all your options are on the table. Everything is kind of out there for you to choose from. And that's, that has to be the option that they take, right? Because this next hire has to be the one that turns it around and is in place for a long period of time and it just doesn't seem like that's the guy you're going to get in this kind of a market right now. So it, it's it's pretty clear that that's got to happen uh, in the summer. I wonder, um, you know, some guys that are out there, like would would Edmonton want a Dean Lombardi to come in? He had success in L.A. Um, and he was one of those guys who bought into Corsi and all this stuff. And they were a good team by that measure, but he got connected to his players a lot. And that was ultimately his downfall for the LA Kings. And, and is he, is he even the right choice for that organization? I don't really think it's clear yet. The one that's, uh, that would be obvious to me is if he gets fired, which might not even happen is Doug Armstrong for the hockey Canada connections. There's a lot of those guys there, but again, although he's, he's got a pretty good track record of building up that St. Louis blues organization, but are fans going to look beyond that and say this is another old boys club, another guy that you all know and everybody there is familiar with and has worked with before, and what has really changed then if you're just adding another one of those guys? And again, like that's not a knock on Armstrong. I think he's done a really good job in in St. Louis, but is is that too similar? Is he too similar to
1: kind of what they already have in place? So the, the one thing, the one other thing that I would say on this. Is that when when you're going out to get a GM? Although you're hiring a guy, you are going to at some point inherit his crew. And if you're hiring someone in midseason, he can't have his network, his network, right. his, his his posse uh, work working for him. And uh, Shirelli got some of his crew in uh, in Edmonton. So, I, I mean, I think what you're hoping to get out of a new GM is culture change. And you can't really affect that in mid-season, no matter who you're going to go out and get. It's a little easier in the off-season. In advance of the draft, if you can do that, then like uh, management contracts, whether it's scouts, whatever, all those contracts are up July 1. You sort of know... Who's who's at large, and you can negotiate around and 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 get uh and get people out of if they have a, a year left on their term or something like that. So, uh, th- that's that's probably the main reason I, I think that we'll be in a holding pattern until the oil the Oilers are eliminated. How, how do you think Shirelli felt uh, watching video of McDavid? Uh, being interviewed like after practice the other day, right? Like, I mean, that that if you're if your captain and franchise player is that unhappy, you're pink slipped. Well, yeah. You've if you've lost him, you're you're done. And the worst nightmare if you're an Oilers
0: fan is an increasingly unhappy McDavid, right? I mean, right now, it certainly seems as though he is all in (sighs) on getting things turned around. But, like, I don't know. I mean, we'll see what happens in the offseason. But the odds that the Oilers are anything more than a team scrapping for the playoffs this time next year, and if for whatever reason things go south again, like, that is the nightmare situation, right? That you start to hear there's true unrest uh in the mind of McDavid about you know what's going on here I'm I'm wasting my time with this team
2: yeah he's that's the silver lining is at least for now he's okay and yeah. he's buying into this and he's challenging the players too, right? By saying, if you, if you're not buying in, then get, get out. Uh, um, that, out. That's kind of what you want to hear from him at this point, but then, yeah, you look ahead and there's no obvious path for this team to take to get better as soon as next season to obviously be a playoff team. Like you've just signed Miko Koskinen into what I think is kind of a ridiculous four yeah. and a half million dollar contract for 31 year old, who hasn't played in the NHL for years and years and years, um, it, it's it's very, very risky. And if, if he doesn't pan out next season, then you're, you're in really deep trouble at that point. Um, they don't have a ton of assets that other teams are going to want to give up something good back to you, unless you're talking about your first-round pick, which Bob I, Nicholson completely ruled out. Well,
0: yeah, I, yeah.
2: With, the, it's risky. I mean, you, you'd have to, you'd have to lottery protect that for this season, no, but then there's no guarantee that that's not going to be right back in the lottery again next season.
0: I know it's, this is the last thing oiler fans want to hear, but honestly, if, if I'm a sophisticated Edmonton fan, I'm looking at this saying it's not even a rebuild, but it's an asset accumulation. Like I just think that team is so much better off trying to get a couple more draft picks that in today's NHL, could be with the team fourteen months after they're drafted. They just have so many holes to fill that I think I would feel better if I was an Euler fan about them hiring someone I believe in, that person instituting a long term vision, than I would going out and saying, we're trying to scrape into the second wild card in twenty nineteen.
2: I just and I think it's really key to remember here that this right now is a very low point for the Edmonton Oilers, but it really, we talk about how when Ken Hitchcock first got there, there was an immediate improvement in defense, which happens to him wherever he goes. But that has fallen right back and even to below the standards of what they were playing at when Todd McClellan was, was there. But there's a key date. When Oscar Clefbaum went down, that's when it took a huge turn. The, the Oilers are allowing like five more shots a game on average without him, when he gets back into the lineup, I think with him on one pair, Darnell Nurse on the other, that that immediately is going to put this team in a better situation, and I don't think they're going to look as bad. That's not to say they're a guarantee to get to the playoffs or they're a good-looking organization overall, but I think it's proven in the numbers and proven in the record with and without him that at least this season he's been a huge difference maker for this team, and just by him returning, I, yeah. think, I think you can have a much better story on this team.
1: The funny thing about Edmonton is that they've cycled so many scouts through. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they've had big turnover in their scouting department, mm. but consistent results. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We will
0: go out on, uh, on a Gare joke appropriate for the stand-up comedian here. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, Gare. You're, of course, welcome uh, to come back anytime to the studio.
1: Okay. We'll see you in five.
0: All right. Perfect. All right in the final segment we're now going to take a look at the professional hockey writers association's mid-season awards fun little tradition that has kicked back up the past couple years we will look at the winners talk about who may have been a little slighted and how things may change over the final couple months of the season that is coming up in the final segment tape to tape Looking to stream over 500 NHL games blackout-free? Sportsnet Now is the product for you. Available to anyone over the internet, Sportsnet Now gives you 24-7 access to Sportsnet's channels, including content not available on TV. You can stream on the go or at home on your big screen from the most popular devices, including smartphones and tablets, Apple TV,
2: Xbox, PlayStation, and Chromecast. Sign up for as long as you want and cancel whenever you'd like. You can also stream the NBA, MLB, Premier League, all your favorite Sportsnet original programming and more. Visit snnow.ca for more details.
0: Welcome back to Tape to Tape. Okay, Rory, the Professional Hockey Writers Association, of which I am a member, has, I think this is the second year in a row now that the PHWA has released mid-season, mid-season in quotes, because it's, you know, the all-star break is kind of the symbolic uh, halfway point, even though we're past it, releases the mid-season awards. Now, let me out myself right here. I feel gross saying this. It's <laughs> like when you, you know, you throw something out that you can recycle and you just feel awful about it. But I did have a vote and I did not exercise my right this year because I also have a one-month-old child. You and this, have
2: priorities. not kind of- <laughs> <it's> lost <laughs> in the mix. But I did
0: vote last year and I will vote next year, and I'll certainly vote on the year-enders. So let's just look at a couple of these awards, starting with the Heart Trophy, the MVP Nikita Kucherov of the Tampa Bay Lightning, Johnny Gaudreau, Calgary, Connor McDavid in that order. One, two, three. I'll just run through these quickly and we'll circle back to a couple. The Norris, Mark Giordano, Morgan Riley, Brent Burns, Selkie winner, Patrice Bergeron, surprise, surprise. Alexander Barkov, nice nod there. Number two, Mark Stone, probably the best two way winger in the league. Calder Trophy, we're going to crunch the numbers when this is all said and done, but Elias Pettersson is going to be the biggest runaway rookie of the year, assuming he doesn't miss any more time in a long, long time. So we've got him ahead of his countrymen, Rasmus Dahlin, and a thin Miro Heiskanen, Lady Bing, Barkov, Riley, Sean Monahan, Vesna, John Gibson, Marc-Andre Fleury, Frederick Anderson, Jack Adams, hello, Slam Dunk, Barry Trotz <laughs> of the Metro-leading New York Islanders, Bill Peters, first year in Calgary, John Cooper with Tampa, GM of the year, Brad Living, Calgary, Doug Wilson, San Jose, Lou Lamorello, Islanders.
1: And your comeback player of the year, kind of,
0: sort of, kind of, I guess, the rough, rough equivalent of the Masterton, Robin Lehner of the Islanders, Jeff Skinner of the Sabres, and Zach Parise of the Minnesota Wild. All right, Rory, I know you kind of wanted to jump in on the GM of the Year Award. You had
2: some thoughts here. Where's Mark Bergevin? His team is is in the playoffs, I can tell you that. How crazy is that to say? A couple months ago, no one is even thinking about this guy in any way as a GM of the Year candidate. In fact, they're probably thinking the opposite. Like, why does this guy still have a job and everything? But A, they're in the playoffs. B, their top two scorers, Max Domi, Thomas Tatar, were... Offseason season acquisitions for him that have clearly paid off. Yes, Barry and Yemi, who they picked third overall in the draft, which was not really there was a lot given. of
0: hand ringing at that in that moment for sure.
2: Yeah, nobody thought he was going to be in the NHL this year. Exact no question. Yeah, um, they needed a center, and that's why they did a little bit of a reach for him, and he's been really good on their third line to this point. What I don't like about this award and the way it seems to be getting voted here it's the same reason why I don't like the way the Jack Adams is voted, is you're going to end up with a guy whose goalie played really well and his team overachieved. And that happens a lot with the Jack Adams. Probably not happening this year with Barry Trotz because he's made an obvious difference with that team. But in the history of that award, that's that's where it always ends up. And a lot of these guys end up without a job in a year or two after winning that. Uh, With the GM of the Year Award especially, I think it should be really important to... Look, not just at what a guy did in the previous offseason and in that season, but... Some body of work. Yes, something that he's done to get to that point. Because when you're talking about trades, drafting players to build a team that is performing in a way it is in a season, it, it often takes time for it to pay off. Four years ago it was that they traded for Jeff Petrie for nothing, and he's turning into, right now, he's probably their second best defenseman. Oh, no question. Uh Shea Weber, we know that Bergevin took a lot of heat for that trade. And in the long run, maybe he loses it. I think there's a probably a pretty good chance of that. But right now in this season, after coming back from injury shea Weber's right up there in the Norris Trophy discussion, and he's definitely having a better season than p k Subban is to this point um i you know it's not the same to take credit for Kerry Price's resurgence because he's he's you know doing really well, but this is why you paid him ten and a half million dollars a year so on at, at one point, you could say, well, you're kind of contradicting yourself here, Rory, because this is a team that has a goalie that's Bouncing back, and that's why they're doing so well. But I would just say that's why they gave him ten and a half million dollars. Yeah. Like, you're, this isn't somebody who's coming out of nowhere. This isn't like so. Brad Treliving is on this list. Finishes number one. There is not a chance that we're talking about him the GM of the year award if David Riddick doesn't come out from nowhere to take over the number one job in the way he has. He was on the radar to possibly take over or at least be a factor in that crease, but not at the level he's playing at to this point. And and that's kind of what I'm getting at here is Trilliving has done a really good job. But I think when you compare the two and what they've done over the past few years to get to this point, I think Bergevin has taken just a ton of risks and made a ton of moves and trades that he got criticized for in the time but are clearly starting to pay off for the team in the here and now. And and I think that's important to consider. So the fact that he's not even in the top three and Lou Lamorello is – I think is kind of crazy because Lou Lamorello, his team is doing well, but it's because he hired a coach who came in and has made this huge change. And Barry Trotz is going to be the runaway Jack Adams winner, but why is the GM also getting credit for that? It's one move that, and and the payoff for the team isn't really the GM's doing it's the coaches doing the the one move that you could use in his defense, of course, is, is Robin Lehner, who's having a great season, but then you could say he might be a beneficiary of the defense in front of him because it wasn't really working out for him in Buffalo and all of this stuff. I just think there's way more on Mark Bergevin's resume and his impact on the Montreal Canadiens than what Lou Lamorello's overall impact has been on the New York Islanders in, in such a short period of time. I think it's important for that award to take a longer-term look. Do you think Kucherov
0: has a chance to stick at number one in the MVP race given, you know, he's a guy who could fall victim to the fact that there's just so many good players
2: on his, on his team. I was surprised that he finished at the top of this voting because I thought he would get um, kind of impacted by the the team that he's on and would lose some votes because of that. I I guess my concern is that he has to win the Art Ross to win the heart trophy as well. And if he falls off of that, um, maybe he doesn't. And that might open up the door actually for Johnny Gaudreau if Edmonton misses the playoffs because. If Kucherov doesn't win the Art Ross and he falls off and McDavid's Oilers don't make the playoffs and he falls off, then Goudreau is sitting there as a guy who is on a team that's doing well but not as loaded with offensive stars as Kucherov's is. Uh, overachieved, won their division, got into the playoffs, whatever. however they finish, and he finishes top three, top five in scoring, whatever it is. That might actually be a, a clear path for Goudreau, but I don't think that's a fair way to look at it. I mean, Kucherov has for... Three years now, um, been an elite scorer in the NHL. Andrew Berkshire did a great article for us the other week, basically making the point that you have to compare him to centers. He's a winger. You have to compare him to centers to get an idea of his overall impact of the game and how he compared to McKinnon and McDavid was actually pretty even. So the fact he's having that kind of an impact as a winger, I know Braden Point is having a great season, but it, how much of that is due to Kucherov and how much of that is only because of Braden point. He's a great two way player. And I think if he wasn't in Tampa Bay, he would have come out anyway, but he is playing with one of the premier all around players in the game today in Kucherov. And I just, I, you know, I worry that he's, he won't get the credit for that in the MVP voting. If he doesn't also win the art Ross and it's, it's, it's going to work in, It's going to work against John Cooper. It's going to work against Andre Vasilevsky, and it can only go so far before you got to start awarding these guys. Because look, Tampa, Tampa is as good as they are because they have these guys. They have so many great players, but that's just it. Like they're legitimately superstar players having an impact and deserve to be awarded for what they're doing. How much All Star Game or All Star Weekend do you watch? It's funny that you say that. I was walking home last night. So this this weekend, I'm going to be watching it because I'm doing a live blog for sportsend.ca. And I was thinking when I was walking home last night, when was the last time I watched an All-Star game? And I'm sure I've watched at least parts of one since but the last good memory i have of an all-star game is owen nolan pointing at dominic really? <laughs> <laughs> only 20 years ago <laughs> yeah. yeah i just have no interest
0: in it's it right like it's... the skills comp is kind of like the dunk competition i'll yeah.
2: kind of be like
0: flipping and go oh yeah this and yeah. kind of get sucked in
2: but yeah and it it, it There's going to be some CWHL players involved in the skills this year, so that's going to add a little new element to it. Unfortunately, we're going to be missing out on some of the hardest shots in the competition this year, which is why I wish the NHL would just get the best players to go and participate in that. We want to see Zidane Ocharo up against Shea Weber. We want to see Connor McDavid up against whoever you know you do ch- choose your fastest skater and put them up there against against mcdavid puck handling everything like that i want to see the best guys for those drills and and i don't think they'll ever get back to that but that would be something that i think would also help uh, the skills competition but i am going to watch the all-star game this year all right i bet you're not i don't think so maybe <laughs> i'll follow your live blog <laughs> there you go sportsnet.ca you go. all right sounds good i, I want to ask you as we close out here so you mentioned off the top of this segment that you didn't fill out this ballot because of your newborn at home. Many surprises there so far.
0: Uh, I don't know if there's any real surprise yet. I've been saying it's like a series of things you kind of sort of kind of knew about or, yeah. or guessed at crystallizing. It's a lot of going, yeah. oh, that's what this means. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> what it's like to sleep three hours at a time. So, hasn't yeah. been anything that's been like a complete rogue wave where i have just like, whoa, I did not see that coming. But... It's definitely uh, day after day, more and more appreciation and understanding of, oh, that's what these new parents were talking about. I
2: see. Yes.
0: We're muddling through it. We're getting by and we're having some uh, lovely, precious moments. As I keep saying, you know, you don't want to wish away the moment in time where your daughter fits on a pillow on your lap. It's pretty cool,
2: right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Ours just got into her jumperoo, jumping around all the time, making a lot more noise. And I was going to say, it gets better from those early days when you are going on short rest. as You kind of, you know, you get used to everything that's going on. But, oh my goodness, the teething is starting. And was it Wednesday this week was one of the worst sleep nights we had had since she was a newborn where it was just nothing couldn't make her happy two or three hours we're both exhausted the next morning and i think that's just that's another stage right <laughs> it's like you're coming off one of those
0: three and three hl weekend nights you play friday <laughs> saturday and sunday and just got the snot pounded out of you and you can barely uh stand up to walk oh, out it. of the arena yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well we can always get around and we will be back in the studio next week coming off the all-star break as we I don't know if we would say make the turn for home yet, but man, uh, we come back. It'll soon be February. And of course, trade deadline talk dominates that month. And then there's really just one more month to go. The home stretch in the playoff races. So exciting times in the NHL, always exciting times on the tape tape pod. Thanks to Garrett Joyce for dropping by today. You can follow Rory on Twitter at Rory Boylan, myself, Dixon on sports. Check us out in iTunes, Find us at sportsnet.ca. Come back next week for more glass rattling hockey action on Tape to Tape.